Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects, building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the internet. Welcome to the podcast, Scott Lewis. Today we're here to talk about Canto, the decks that you've built with an EVM execution layer on top of the Cosmos stack. Tell me about your story. How'd you get into crypto? <laughs> <laughs> kind of fell down the Ethereum rabbit hole in late 2016. And then uh, I've been a trader, traditional finance for 11 years before that. Then kind of first half of 2017, went like from just reading about it to stop trading traditional financial products, focused exclusively on Ethereum. Well, actually all crypto really at that point started working on building stuff kind of like later in 2017 started off with like a site kind of like a public service site trying to like research ico scams once icos died down started dying down we started experimenting with different stuff we worked on launching different stuff like like uh slingshot which is like a dex aggregator code arena which is like a competitive audit game started designing canto over that period and then Starting in like February of 2021. So I talked to some people that you know, wanted to contribute to building it. Why don't you give us a high level intro? Canto is a layer one Cosmos SDK based chain. First of all, I'm not an engineer. Uh, I just did the mechanism design for it. But the protocol layer itself um, is a fork of the Evmos code base, which is the EVM wrapped inside Tendermint proof of stake. Um, and then kind of where Canto goes from that is we sort of have viewed the monopolization of the application layer on Ethereum um, and also looking at kind of how hard it is for a lot of the protocols that live in the application layer uh, to be economically sustainable, um, especially economic sustainability without token games. Um, and so we kind of had an idea if we kind of have the protocol and the project extend a bit up into the application layer um, and have kind of free public infrastructure running on the application layer. To that end, uh, with the launch, uh, there were three DeFi primitives that were launched alongside the uh, protocol layer, uh, the first of which is Canto Lending Market, which is a fork of uh, Compound V2, uh, second of which is uh, the Canto Dex, uh, which is a fork of Solidity, uh, solidly. And then the third is an original uh, unit of account token called Note, uh, which is over collateralized um, and uses interest rates and lending kind of in the spirit of DAI, uh, but working a bit differently to hopefully serve as a unit of account money on Canto. Um, and then there was a last uh, original work went into the launch was a governance shuttle that let the Cosmos SDK DAO control the uh, free public infrastructure on the protocol layer. And so it was kind of the combination of that is uh, what made up uh, the Canto launch. And there's no team 
on Canto. There's no sort of organization uh, responsible for Canto. Um, it's just sort of like a group of contributors uh, coordinating to build what we launched. And then some of those contributors have decided to continue contributing um, and others have not. And both are okay. Kind of both in the spirit of Canto. There's a couple of things to unpack there. Um, like most notably is that you call Note a unit of account. To me, that's very deliberate because it clearly is supposed to act as some kind of stable token. Uh, um, but no. Y- yes. Well, it, it is very deliberate in that the same way dollars or euro or yen is a unit of account that we use as a, as a currency node aspires to be that i don't i i do not use the word stablecoin because i think it's important to make clear that there is no special mechanism to make note um mintable or redeemable for a dollar mm-hmm. um, and right. if you look at the way note trades in the market you can see it's not like pegged at a dollar like usdc or like USDT. It's not attempting to peg to anything, is it? Um, no, I, I would say it's unpegged. Um, I would say that the I would, if the mechanism works correctly, its value is currently parameterized to sort of be co-integrated with the dollar. In that, like, if it falls below a dollar, um, interest rates would increase, and when it's above the dollar, interest rates fall. You could kind of see that pattern in in other currencies that are used of account you know account around the world like if the currency is too weak the central bank might raise the interest rate if the currency is too strong the central bank might lower the interest rate and so it's kind of in that spirit like i would think of it as just its own currency there's three properties of that defines money so there's unit of account medium of exchange and store of value and it's interesting that you say well we don't promise that it has any of the other two, it's just a unit of account. And I think that fundamentally, um, because of the constraints of um, what blockchains offer, uh, you can't have all three properties in one single token. I would agree with that. Um, I might think of like, if Canto did have a Zora value, I might think of that as Canto. Um, I think one thing we've seen as people are actually doing real commerce and real transactions on Ethereum um, you see some transactions um, use F as medium of exchange, like NFTs um, market right. uses F as medium of exchange. I think if you think about why that's the case, um, the value of F is more correlated with the value of NFTs. And so it makes more sense to use it as a medium of exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, I, then you also see other places on Ethereum uh, where people are using USDC as a medium of exchange. Um, like if you're doing a seed round, and you're settling on Ethereum, people are settling seed rounds in USDC and not F because that's closer. It has, like USDC is much more close to the dollar value of the startup. So they're trying to replicate. And so it's sort of like trying to solve kind of both of those like ways people are using money, but have both forms be decentralized. Yeah, I think of Bitcoin as the, you know, store of value and then ETH as the medium of exchange for a lot of the um, like, decentralized assets in the market like nfts and then you know usdc or something like that as unit of account i think that's reasonable i might slightly pivot off that and i think the bitcoin community has a lot of problems they need to solve or maybe they need to be aware of 
the problems they have for that to be a long-term sustainable stance. Um, but I would agree that's the goal of Bitcoin. I mean, we could have an entirely <laughs> like other two-hour-long offshoot just to talk about that. But I think proof of stake is a great technology, and Bitcoin community would be behoove themselves to consist. Cons- oh my goodness! Wow, you and I would disagree so hard. <laughs> ETH is already on proof of stake, and so we'll see how that experiment pans out for it. Yeah, right. I think it'll go a while, but we'll see. That uh, breaks down note, but you mentioned. Canto might be the store of value. So Canto is not only the DEX, but a token. Um, well, so because because the the Canto DEX is kind of one of the aspects of free public infrastructure. Like Uniswap is like a app on the application layer, but Uniswap V2 and V3 have a fee switch. Uniswap V1 did not. Um, Canto DEX itself is kind of like uh, in a similar economic space as Uniswap V1, um, in that it's deployed on the Ethereum virtual machine that lives inside of Kanto. Um, but the blocks of Kanto are validated by stakers and uh, or by uh, by validators and uh, people that hold Kanto can delegate their Kanto to validators, mm-hmm. like non-hub. Sounds like the way to govern this entire protocol is through Kanto itself. Um, yes. Uh, something like Canto Dex um, does not actually have governance parameters. It's just kind of immutably on-chain forever. Um, keys thrown away. Um, but something like Canto Lending Market, where you would have to have lending parameters updated over time, uh, the the Canto the Canto Dex uh, or the Canto DAO uh, governance decisions would be able to update the update and change those. How are changes made to the note interest rates? It's automated. If note is trading above a dollar, um, the interest rate will go down. It's set to six hour intervals right now. So if the and so it's prioritized so that if note were to be one percent over a dollar, the interest rate would go down one percent every twenty four hours in like six hour chunks. Um if note were to fall to 99 cents, then the interest rate on note in Canto lending market would go up by kind of 1% each day, as long as it's at 99 cents. Mm-hmm. Is there no time constraint for the protocol to allow people to funnel their money into the protocol to, to make it go back up to the dollar if it were below? It remains to be seen whether this will adequately incentivize people because it hasn't really been tested at scale in production yet. And so, you know, like Kanto is still at a stage where it's still very experimental and risky. But if uh, note fell to 99 cents, um, each day is at 99 cents, the interest rate would go up by 1%. And so for af- after 10 days, assuming it was hypothetically at 10%, hopefully that interest rate would incentivize people to bridge over other assets, buy note with those assets, and then collect that 10%. I mean, what is the worst that could happen? You know, this is this is clearly not like it's not UST, you know, where people are putting their life savings in this thing. Right. You're clearly marketing this thing as like, look, it's experimental. You know, we're, I'm not going to give you like 20 percent APR. No. So all of the note is uh, the way the, the note is, is created um, is you sort of uh, you put down collateral in Canto lending market and then you can borrow note against the collateral. So if you bridged 2,000 USDC to Canto, 
and then you borrowed a thousand note, the protocol would actually mint. Well, uh, it's a little more complicated, but a simple way to explain it: the protocol would mint the note for you at that moment. Yeah. Great. So, so instead of putting in two thousand USDC and taking out a thousand dollars worth of like ETH, the intermediary base token would be no, and then I could take no and then borrow ETH or whatever it is I want from from your lending market. So- the, it's it's actually all the collateral is netted together. That's how like MakerDAO works, um, where you have your CDP, um, and then or your vault now. And you kind of mint die against it and borrow it. This more takes kind of like a compound, uh, or it literally takes compound. Um, and so if you had like some USDT, some USCC, you would have this much like credit for your collateral. Mm-hmm. And then you could mint and borrow note against that. Yeah. Okay. Um, we currently have collateral factors for volatile assets at zero because it's still kind of like very early and dangerous. But we do plan to like raise those. So like hopefully down the road, if you had S or Canto in the lending market, that would also count as some collateral to take out note. When you say it's like a CDP, but now called Vault, is that just a semantic difference? Well, just MakerDAO, early MakerDAO called debt positions, CDPs, collateral debt positions, but then yeah. they changed the Just change it to Vaults I, now? I just, I still call them CDPs in my head. It's just me. Okay. Well, I yeah, the fu- the fundamentals don't change. Yeah. In that you're 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 using real assets and then collateralizing that with the product with with the lender and then you just borrow a debt instrument like no. Yeah. I think we've covered a lot of the high level stuff. Maybe we could talk about the philosophy and like yeah, your background because it sounds opinionated. This yeah, stuff should be that's... free infrastructure, this, that, this, right? Like, how do you incentivize, you know, yourself, your team? They're like yeah. rev share in some way. Incentivizations in team maybe as first. Um, the people currently working on Canto are like not all people on my team. Um, for pre-launch contributors, uh, which includes like a... Like Plex, um, which I'd say did did more work than anyone else. Um, it's just like its own uh, development shop, um, and then like NeoBase, which did some pre-launch work, and uh, has also been uh, working on different things post-launch. Just a group of engineers, um, and kind of like the the spirit of Canto is, I think, when you think about the original Bitcoin launch, um, you know, it's just like code released thoughts posted in message board um and yeah like satoshi originally just wanted like a unicode character to represent bitcoin and then like you know someone later uh convinced them to like use kind of that orange b we see now um it was very much like a a a low fidelity like we'll just put this out here kind of launch um and then as you saw token sales becoming more popular the ethereum pre-sale had a lot more like productions it resulted in the formation of ethereum foundation um but i think as you've seen like other projects after ethereum especially the ones building in like evm chains or like a solana you see you you think like you see like more corporatization of Uh the deployment and production and marketing of a blockchain and 
like more VC chains. Your words. I'm um, sure. But if you look at like the only like the the three like I would say the most successful communities in the space, um, or like the most engaged communities in the space, like I think that's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Cosmos. And yeah. if you look at all three of those, those are also like the least corporate. And I don't think that's a coincidence because I, I think when the corporations think about converting people and like they view their users as customers, like you lose a lot of capable domains. And so like, but you lose that like collectivism and voluntary like spirit, voluntarist like ideas that make things actually lending. Um, mm-hmm. Like blockchains aren't businesses. Um, right. They, they have things in common with businesses. But when you start thinking about them as businesses, like you're just like, uh, I don't, uh, I mean, it's not like what I'm into, but I'm also like less bullish on their success. Um, and so like with Canto, we really try to do a lot of things in like not in like ways that aren't consensus or conventional wisdom because we kind of like want to draw a firm line like in the sand that like there's no, example. there's no business to like make number go up for you like you're not a ch- like there's no cheer like being the canter community like we don't want like cheerleaders mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and and i think to do that you have to like do things maybe do things differently but maybe the way things have been done before before the space was as big as it is now. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to tell you about Interchain FM Steak. Interchain FM is not only a podcast, but also a steakhouse. IFM Steak is a premium, sushi-grade steakhouse running on Osmosis, Umi, and Comdex. If you get your alpha from this podcast, show us some love by delegating to Interchain FM Steak. Yeah, here's the thing. You know, when it was that peak of 2021 and you know all the corporate vc backed coins were just pumping harder than anything else with better fundamentals um including cosmos and a lot of the projects that i like it's like frustrating to see because i'm like oh wait this is where the space is headed so what you have to do is like give vcs like two percent of your float in order for them to like give a shit about this project and for them to like pump the crap out of it <laughs> and yeah, like, like automatically get exchange listings i i think like the frustration um or at least the frustration i think in that same vein that i felt um is you see like kind of like the people that don't actually care about the space yeah um, appropriating the pattern the whole loose space. yeah yeah like it's i mean like extracting maximum value out of it yeah like i've always been a name face but like the anon movement in crypto is very strong and so you saw um chains that will not be named and trading firms slash exchanges that will not be named spin up stables of anons to launch shit coins mm-hmm. right um the shit coins goal is to create the appearance of adoption to hoodwink the members of the public mm-hmm. to put their money into the l1 shit coin associated with the on-chain shit coins mm-hmm. and like that hustle worked very well. Um, and I think now we're seeing kind of like a washing away of that tide and hopefully more people in the space develop the awareness about the difference between like the native the native grassroots community building things and the suits that 
try to appear as if they are the native grassroots community building things. And so like, I think for like, these are like kind of one of the reasons why I hate it when there's a lot of strife amongst teams in the grassroots side. Because, mm-hmm. like, honestly, no one's, no one's, no native team's success is going to like destroy your ability to succeed. But the appropriation and like the co opting of the movement will actually threaten you. And like, we are literally seeing that threat right now as like in American governance, the like crimes of Sam are putting the actual movement at risk. And so, like, yeah, I don't know. I think it's like time to treat grassroots projects differently. Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. Here's the thing: I, as a space, we need to push back against that, right? Because to what extent is is Sam's actions not a false flag? Like, what if he were actually a tool of the state? Right? He he rose to prominence literally overnight. None of us knew him before what, like 2017. Like, like the people who have been in the space for much longer than that. And so he just like came up out of nowhere and then failed spectacularly. And then suddenly it allows members of the state to say, okay, well, we need to regulate decentralized protocols the way we regulate centralized exchanges. And here's why, because we, you know, yeah. consumer protection. I, I, I see Sam more as a figure that understood what people needed him to be to open the doors for him to win the game. He had no scribbles about different things he did. I think we got like pretty lucky that it happened now and that like the bank, that he was not able um, to put all the money back in time. We like can, can build from where we are now. Had the state been involved in our space, the way they had been involved in Wall Street, those $10 billion lost would have been socialized to the taxpayer and then the state would have bailed FTX out and that hole would have been plugged. That's just how yeah. the 2008 financial crisis was. You know, people who had no involvement in the crypto space or did nothing of their own to speculate in the space had to pay for Sam's misdeeds. Let me unpack that a little bit. So I think you have two decisions. You have one decision, like, do we want to keep the financial global financial system uh, running on opaque and like private by default for big institutions are balance sheets hidden until uh, regulators pry them away from people do we want this system this like kind of gated inefficient system uh controlled essentially by dc um and america to like run the global financial system um and i think when you have that system functioning as poorly as it does you end up with um large systemic risks like created the financial crisis. I was like trading through that. Um, and personally, I think once you get to a point where everything is F, I sort of wonder what the collapse would be had there not been a bailout and like how much electricity and stuff would we have today if there hadn't been a bailout at that point in time. But what I see kind of DeFi and blockchains being able to do is to have systems that are like always available to be audited by all market participants in real time. Um, Just like nobody knew all the crazy derivatives uh, that like AIG had sold. And when they found out, it was like game over. And no one knew, you know, that Sam was 
taking user deposits from FTX, moving them to Alameda, and then making personal loans to himself. These are the types of things that create massive like market failures. When you look at Uniswap, like you know the AMM has all the assets because you can see it on chain. You know the very block that like Ave gets uh, 1.4 million in bad bad debt from Ave's Ave Eisen's little games, right? You know it, and so it's public. And so if things once things start to be, get in trouble, everyone can see it. Then different actors have to like get risk back under control. But that doesn't happen with Bear Stearns. It doesn't happen in the financial crisis. It doesn't happen in FTX. And, you know, there's like 10 other crazy crises like that in the 20th century. But then, like, if you go back to the 19th century, like, boom and bust cycles were happening, like, every three years. Like, it was absolutely nuts. As uh, humans, we can realize that, like, hey, maybe uh, the financial systems as they exist today and as they're regulated today are not the best they could be. Maybe having instant auditability of, like, key like financial facilities is actually really good and like i think that's like what i think that's sort of like a responsibility that like natives and people from the grassroots in the space have to build those things and to show that it can't work and like in a sense i feel like ethereum is a lot of that me like contributing to canto is i hope part of that too you uh and eric Voorhees and a lot of people who uh who agree with this are like of the same mind that DeFi is already self-regulated and completely auditable. But to those people who don't understand the value of uh, transparency and auditability, who will come in and say, well, what about the hundreds of millions of dollars in like bridge hacks and like, you know, smart contract exploits and all of that? How do you like protect people from losing monies from that? Of course, I do agree on a lot. One thing where we would branch off a bit is I would favor regulations of DeFi, but I think it's incredibly important that the regulations uh, are like DeFi coherent. One thing that's like seems fairly obvious, the liability for deploying a DeFi contract that has not been audited should be different than the liability for deploying a DeFi contract that should be audited, that was audited. Like this is just like a basic standard. Like don't deploy things that are going to take other people's money if you haven't gotten an audit. I think that's something that has not always been followed. But what about the ones that have been audited but didn't heed the audits? Yeah, like like I think if you're looking at like like something like Harmony where the multi-state got compromised, do you also want disclosures about security practices are probably something that should be done. If you're holding user money in a custodial way, what you're actually doing and how the multi-sig is set up, getting someone to review and audit the OPSEC is probably important. And I, I think like if you're looking at the Ronin hack, uh, Bridge hack and the Harmony one, that seems like some pretty common sense things we're missing. Balaji had come up with a solution for our space without uh, requiring regulators. If we could parameterize the sorts of things that you mentioned, like you know, is is it open source? Is this contract on like a two of three multi-sig? Or, you know, are you like you know, what multi-sig solution? Or, you know, is it is it arguably more more distributed than that? Has it been audited? Things like that. Yeah. And create like, like a cloud regulator uh, crowdsource these this information about each protocol. Um yeah, I think like if you look at like um how FINRA works, uh with kind of the CFTC or SEC. FINRA is industry run and like private, but maybe quasi-public. When you register as a broker deal with FINRA, 
the the actual people that work at FINRA decide the rules of FINRA. But then the SEC requires that you are like registered in good standing with FINRA. And so I I do think that like if there was good crypto native self-regulatory organization, we're talking about things that like we should or we mainly already do demand of projects and we should be holding projects to these standards anyway. But having having self-regulation, but then that self-regulation be given more teeth by the state, I, I think is like a, a, a pretty reasonable approach. I think we're we're all arriving at the a similar conclusion in that you know, yet we as crypto natives need to be proactive and come up sol- with solutions to self-regulate um, the space that we're in, in the decentralized space. Uh, and the regulators in meat space need to like follow in our footsteps. Like they need to take a note from us, the people who are most capable of understanding these protocols. And then I think that would be good. I think, unfortunately, the following in the footsteps was following Sam's footsteps over the course of 2022. And then he rugged us by trying to get DeFi banned. Regulators and crypto natives are like water and oil. But, you know, Sam was like an exception who was voluntarily there. He is like living part-time in DC, apparently. I think there is value to some of us getting our foot in the door. I I recognize that like a lot of uh, regulators are, are trying to like do the best job they can. Um, I would say that you clearly like exclude some regulators like Gary Gensler from that list. I do think there are people um, that are in DC that do know regulators, but are also kind of aligned with the values. There's a lot more people with a lot more opinions in DC than there were just two months ago. So in the bull market, people were asking me, oh, how can I buy Bitcoin? You know, how can I buy ETH? Should I buy Doge? Same people. Uh, now, a year later, they're like, oh, yeah, I told you it was a scam. <laughs> it's all a scam, by the way. That type of behavior is why the space is so cyclical. Here's, here was another thing that I, I found about grassroots projects. In the backdrop of a bull market, when you need integrations the most, the integrators are trying to sell to the highest bidder, not necessarily by the merit of the project. What's another grassroots project that you could think uh, Can't do approach integrations? It's kind of like we don't care. Yeah, you're a DEX. Yeah, well... It's like a standalone thing. No, no, no. I mean, it's monramps. Like general EVM. I mean, we have a bridge with Gravity Bridge. People can get assets there. Um, but, like, I think a lot of projects maybe might focus too much on getting integrations for their own purposes. But you need, like, exchange listings to get liquidity... But if you're a dad, I mean, I don't. You don't need to be on Binance. If there's an exchange that like wants to do Canto on their own, like they can have their they'll get questions answered just like anyone else um, that wants to like work on Canto. But the one thing that I think maybe projects, uh, or maybe that's not con- not consensus opinion, is that like the long term viability of a project is highly determined by the concentration of engaged individuals in the token ledger. And if you have like someone that's working on a project and they own the tokens on chain native um, and they send their tokens to Binance and sell to someone on Binance, that person that buys it on Binance, some of those people obviously are natives too and will withdraw them and get back on chain doing things, contributing to the project. Many of them are just passives. 
And if you have someone that's committed to the project, um, sell to someone that's like not doing anything and not, not even that engaged or not even talking about it, like your project just like lost, lost some of its like, uh, juice. If Canto is like that important that these places just want to list them on their own, that's fine. Like be nice and welcoming to everyone, but don't actually spend time trying to get that things because it's, it's marginal or maybe it, it's, it like, it's a little bit negative. Like just focus on building and making things that are like cool enough that people want to come to be a part of it mm-hmm. and actually be active. All right. So what was missing in the market that drove you guys to build Canto? Because it's like Dexes exist. They do. Um, I, I, I think. Why did you want to solve this problem? Um, well, I, I think it's possible if you look at like how much um, like uh, it's not exactly revenue, but if you look at how much people spend on transactions to like interact on Ethereum, it's like a lot of money. Um, and then you look at all these like amazing applications on and protocols people have built on the application layer and it's kind of like like uniswap dow has like never made a single dime right um and a lot of projects like are in even worse situations like that when you count token issuance and like it's not like like it's like what what could you do what could it be like if you stopped thinking about blockchains as like software platforms and you more started thinking about them as like cities where cities are kind of like a mix of uh like private enterprise but also free public infrastructure and so we sort of like thought about hey what if we had a dex with zero lp fees and we just made the liquidity in that dex a free public good that was incentivized by the city um and that that's sort of like division for Canto decks and that there's no protocol fee, but there's also no LP fees. And like, can we have like a more efficient and and cheaper financial system that makes other protocol builders and other users want to come to Canto to build next to that? Yeah, the analogy that we are like Sunny Sunny used to make with um with Ethereum is that Ethereum's like New York City. It's a metropolis. It's got everything in this one like big packed city. Um, and there's like a lot of traffic jams and stuff. Um, and you gotta like pay expensive toll for like the toll roads or whatever. And then um, Cosmos would be like little colonies or maybe little, even little tribes at that point when the metaphor is being made. Yeah, we're like kind of, I would say this is like where uh, you probably noticed like Kanto's uh, more like ass people. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think in some ways, uh, like like we more are looking at um kind of to have a different vision for what that blockchain city looks like and i would like say if i'm like going a little further with sunny's uh, analogy i might say that like ethereum is a bit like new york city but if there was no subway and like if there were no central park and if everything mm-hmm. was private i mean everything but the west contract yeah it's private um, and then Canto is trying to strike a different balance. The wrapped Canto contract is public, but also the lending market and also the DEX and also Note, also contract secured revenue. 
Yeah. But I'll officially come in out next. I first met Virgil Griffith in 2015. He had like popped into like my little outpost in Bali, kept being friends with him and we were messaging over Telegram. And then, you know, he told me he was going to North Korea and I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. But he was telling me, you know, all of his research into successfully communist-led uh, nations. So he had like this more fascination with those communities. The rest is history. But, uh, you know, what I noticed all throughout last year was so many North Korean hackers, they get just like, extracting maximum value out of the space. And I was like, I can't help but think, thanks, Virgil. No comment. Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one hour long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live streamed episode.